Hey, welcome students, welcome freshmen. We are delighted that you've uh, joined us today. And um, by the way, the picnic today is really, really important, but you know what is more important than that? It's the baptism. And we have people who are going to be baptized, and so uh, we invite you to come to uh, be a part of that and to see that today. Bridge Kids, you are dismissed. Thank you for being here. We had some awesome worship. One of my favorite new songs is This I Believe. That was the first one we sang. And then we sang about Great Are You, Lord. And the last one, The Great I Am. The Great I Am, Yahweh, Yahweh God, Exodus chapter 3, verse 20, whom Moses met at the burning bush. One of the greatest questions of all time is... What is the most important thing in your life? Hope we can get rid of the echo. What is the most important thing in your life? Or who is the most important thing in the most important person in your life? In his best-selling book, The Reason for God, Christian author and pastor Tim Keller warns what happens when a person lives as if something or someone is more important than God. So here's what he says. He said, if you center your life and identity on your spouse or partner, you will be emotionally dependent, jealous, and controlling. He said, if you center your life and identity on your family and children, you will try to live your life through your children until they resent you or have no self of their own. He said, If you center your life and identity on your work and career, you will be driven, a driven workaholic and a boring, shallow person. If you center your life and identity on money and possessions, you'll be eaten up by worry or jealousy about money. If you center your life or identity on pleasure, gratification, and comfort, you will find yourself getting addicted to something. If you center your life and identity on relationships and approval, you will be constantly overly hurt by criticism and thus always be losing friends. If you center your life and identity on a noble cause, you will divide the world into good and bad and demonize your opponents. If you center your life and identity on religion and morality, you will... If you are living up to your own moral standards, be proud, self-righteous, self-righteous and cruel. If you don't live up to your own moral standards, your guilt will be utterly devastating. So, back to this question. What is the most important priority in your life? A thing or a person? What is the most important In a recent Barna group study of 1,004 adults over the age of 18, they found that 7 of 10 people, adults, said their earthly family was more important than their relationship with their Heavenly Father. 22% said their spouse was the most important relationship in their lives. 17% said their children were the most important. And 3% said their parents were the most important relationship. God challenges us with this very same question. 
what gets first place in our lives. This was a major uh, issue for the Israelites, and this is the focus of Exodus chapter 19. I want to invite you to turn there and uh, hope you grabbed a Bible when you came in or you used your smartphone or opened your Bible to Exodus chapter 19. Um, we have been in a study, if this is your first time here, we've been in a study in the book of Exodus. We've, got, we've uh, traveled through 18 chapters. We've been focusing on the history of how God brought the Ten Commandments, and we have arrived. We are at the mountain of God, and we are ready to hear God speak the Ten Commandments. So Exodus chapter 19 Uh, You can follow on your outline. First of all, God offers his covenant relationship in verses 1 through 8. This is a key concept. God offers a relationship with him. Um, The context is verses 1 and 2. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. So, I want to mark out that three months have passed since God delivered his people out of Egypt. Three months since the Pharaoh let them go. And they marched out after the Passover, after God passed over Egypt. Uh, Verse 2, And they set out from Rephidim, and they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the uh, mountain. Uh, And this is pretty much review. And so let's see the map. So remember our history, God's people have been in Lower Egypt or Goshen for over 400 years, and then uh, God raises up Moses to lead them out, and they uh, go out and cross the Red Sea or the Reed Sea, and then they begin to sojourn as a large group. 600,000 men over the age of 20 with their families, two and a half million people kind of conservatively are on the move. And they head south, and remember, they, they run out of water, and they, they can't find food, and God brings them water, and God brings them uh, manna, and God brings them the quail. And uh, they just they keep uh, questioning, uh, where is Moses taking them? They're going south. Remember, they're supposed to be headed toward Jerusalem. At least that's where the promised land is. So they're, not, they're kind of going in the opposite direction, but here's the deal. God is leading them. And uh, Mount Horeb, or Mount Sinai, same place down in the Sinai Peninsula. Uh, It's all desert up north of there. And uh, God has, this is where Moses met God. And God spoke to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. Now, after all these years, God has brought his people back to speak to them where he spoke to Moses. So, that's our context. Um, the trek up the mountain, verse 3, then Moses went up to God. That's kind of amazing. Moses went up to God. This is uh, Mount Sinai, is about a 7,500 foot elevation. It would take Moses three or four hours to make this trek. This is hard work, okay? And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are say to the descendants of Jacob. And of course, Jacob and Israel are the same person. Descendants of Jacob are the descendants of Israel or this people, Israel. 
and what you are to tell the people of Israel. So he wants Moses to speak for him and to represent him to the people. Verse 4, the reminders of past provision and protection. Uh, Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. This is really an amazing passage. It's very short. It is just loaded with historical incidents and God's heart here. It's sort of like Israel. Do you remember when you were a slave in Egypt and you served taskmasters and they told you to make bricks and they gave you a quota and they beat you when you didn't make it and then you complained and then they took your straw away so you had to go find your own straw, make the bricks and still keep the quota and they still beat you. Do you remember the miracles, God says, that I did for you in Egypt? Ten miraculous events to show God's power over the gods of Egypt. Do you remember how those Egyptians were humiliated by the failure of the frog god and the cow gods and the bull gods and the goat gods? Do you remember the night of the Passover when I passed over Egypt and you celebrated and were protected in your homes and the Egyptians lost their firstborn male children and livestock? Do you remember the gold and the silver the Egyptians gave you when you left that night? You remember what happened when you had your backs against the Red Sea and the Egyptians were approaching and God just miraculously parted the sea and God's people went through on dry ground. These were miracles. These were powerful. This was a big display of the glory of God. And then you remember the water and the manna and the quail. And... uh, God uses, he says, how I carried you on the eagle's wings, on the wings of eagles, and brought you to myself. Well, one thing I want you to see here, God says, I'm bringing you to myself. That's what they're going to do at Sinai. They're going to meet with God, and God has brought them down to Mount Sinai to meet with them. He's brought them to himself because he wants to have this relationship with them. And he says, I've carried you Uh, on wings of eagles. I don't know a lot about eagles, but I understand that when they teach, when their young ones are ready to get out of the nest, the moms just kind of push them out, let them, uh, you know, kind of flutter and squander, and, and then mom just hangs around and kind of swoops along and checks on her kids, and then when they can't make it and it's unsafe, mom just swoops under and picks them up, takes them back up. And keeps them safe. And then mom pushes them out, let let them do it again until they learn to fly. Interesting thing here. We just sort of like God to swoop down and take, you know, pick us up and do everything for us. And uh, the way God worked with his people here, he told them what to do and he asked them to go and to do and to move. And they had to trust him. And it wasn't easy, and they got tired, and they got thirsty, and they got hungry, and they didn't have all the answers. He just wanted them to follow. And then he was going to take care of them. And that's what he did. He was training them and providing for them and caring for them, and he rescued them. And, uh, you know, 
God trains us. And he pushes us out of our comfort zone sometimes. And we have to rely on him. And he helps us and he strengthens us. And he gets us where we need to be. Verse uh, 5 and 6, here comes the offer of the covenant relationship. He says, verse 5, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. This is an agreement. And God is is, uh, thinking about here a constitutional agreement. He's going to establish a government and a constitution and an eternal relationship with uh, his people. If you fully, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. One of the things we see here is God's desire for full devotion. That's the way it was in the Old Testament. It's the same way in the New Testament. God desires us to be fully devoted followers of Christ. Remember Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. God is looking for full devotion. And sometimes we just kind of go through life and say, well, I think I could obey this. This seems easy. Well, this one's pretty hard. I'm not sure. And God's saying, I want full devotion. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Now, I find this absolutely amazing. God is speaking to this people. There is nothing in them that is sort of like stand out. Like, you guys are awesome. You are highly skilled and gifted. You know, you're good enough that I can use you. No, God is pursuing them. And they, they, they have been slaves. They are uh, socially uh, pretty low on the, on the social, uh, in social status. And um, he says, out of all the nations... There's a lot of nations out there. Egypt is one of them. There are some powerful nations. Israel had picked you, and you uh, are going to be my treasured possession, my valuable property. You are going to be mine, Israel. We're going to be family. I'm going to be your father. He goes on to say, although the whole earth is mine... He's the creator God. You will be, for me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, you know, that, that sounds like super religious kind of talk. And, but it's pretty amazing here because this is before God gave the law. This was before there was a priesthood. There was no Levitical priesthood at this time. It did not exist. And God is telling the people... You will be a kingdom of priests. How are they going to be a kingdom? Well, they're going to have a king, and his name is Yahweh, or I am, who I am, the Lord. He is going to be their king. This is going to be a theocracy, by the way. We're not going to vote on this. It's a theocracy. And uh, it's going to be a kingdom of priests. What does that mean? It means that everybody is going to be a priest. Male and female, you are going to be a priest. What's a priest? A mediator. Somebody who represents man to God and God to man. Somebody who has to have a relationship and is an ambassador and can tell other people about God and also somebody who can go to God and come to Him in prayer and represent other people. 
And God says, you're going to be a kingdom of priests, all of you, individually. You're going to have access to God. That's what it means to be a priest, a mediator, to have access to God. Uh, This is a pretty amazing thing. The Pharaoh didn't have access to God in this way. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A holy nation. So he's talked about you as an individual. You are a priest, but you also collectively now, you are a nation. You are a unit for God. And and as a nation, you are set apart. You're holy. That's what it means. Dedicated to God, set apart to God. Main purpose is to serve God away from the other stuff. You're going to be a standout. And, And People are going to look at you, and, and, and they're going to, they need to find their way to God because of you, because you are going to be a holy nation. You're going to be set apart. Holy means always set apart. It, it means to be cleansed. It means to have a purpose, and the purpose is always serve God. And then God says, these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Verses 7 and 8, the acceptance of the covenant relationship. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words of the Lord that he had commanded them, that he commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will be fully devoted. We are all in on this, Moses. You can count on us. And they're going to struggle with this one. But on this day, their hearts are open and they jump in. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Now, what's that going to mean? So Moses went up. Moses comes down. Moses goes back up. This is hard on Moses, the leader. Second, God sets stipulations for the meeting, verses 9 through 15. He confirms God confirms Moses as the leader, verse 9. This, too, is pretty amazing. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. So God is going to use this dense cloud. This is going to be a sign to Israel a miracle, a miraculous event. And the point is, it's, it's, it's an attention getter for Israel, and they are to see that Moses is speaking for God and that they should listen to Moses. And God wants his people to pay attention to his leader. This is all new ground for how God has worked with his people in the past. God wants his people to see that God's favor rests on the man, Moses. Now, don't make this application that God's favor rests on all leaders like that. But this was Moses. He was a godly man. He was trusting. He was learning to walk with God. And God's favor was on him. And that God's people should listen to God's leader. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. So verses, uh, that's verse 9, verses 10 through 13, God outlines preparations for the people. 
And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. So, so Moses is on the mountain. He's 7,500 feet up, and now he's got to come down the mountain, which was three to four to go up. It's a couple hours coming down. Thankfully, gravity is good in this case. The people must be consecrated. Their hearts must be prepared. They, they must make sure that their lives are ready to meet with God. And God's going to give them three days to, to get their hearts ready, to get their lives in order. And I'm assuming that any work would have stopped and... Um, They are to focus on consecration or dedicating themselves to God. Um, And then it says, verse 11, and be ready the third day because the Lord, that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So three days to get ready. God's going to come down to his people. The God of heaven is going to come down to earth to his people. Religion is about people trying to be good enough to get to God. That's not how it works in the Bible. God comes down to his people. That's what Jesus did, by the way. And so God is, going to, is setting up a meeting, and he's going to meet. His, his plan is to meet with his people. God is making himself accessible to humans. Now, here's where, you know, we have this temptation to kind of depart and say, I wouldn't do it that way. That's okay, you're not God. This is how he did it. Because of who he is. Verse 12. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. So God says, this mountain needs boundaries. This mountain needs is becoming a holy place. And uh, so set up some boundaries and you keep people away from it. And it's amazing that uh, from what we know, nobody crossed the boundaries and nobody got put to death over this. But it's, you know, all you have to do is tell people they can't do it. And sure enough, somebody's going to, yes, I can. But not on this occasion. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. The mountain is holy because the mountain in and of itself is not holy. The mountain was not holy before the the day that God descended upon it. And it was God's presence that made it holy. And um, God is establishing a way for his people to be in relationship with him. And he is communicating to his people something about himself, what he is like, what it takes to approach him. And uh, that they need to approach him with caution. Verse 13, they are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. God's holiness and his righteousness and justice are to be honored in this holy place. So if somebody violates and pollutes this site, they are to be executed and put to death. This is such a big deal. 
When you execute them, do not touch them, or you will become polluted. You are to stone them or arrows, okay? Now, you might do it different. God was communicating something about himself and his holiness and his desire to be honored and respected by his people. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the the mountain. There's going to be an appropriate signal. It will be God's timing, and they can approach. Verse 14 and 15, God's people comply with his requirements. After Moses had gone down the mountain, here we go, two-hour descent. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. So Moses makes a trek back. The people comply. Verse 15, then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. So going back to wash their clothes, washing their clothes did not make them clean. Washing their clothes was a sign of their lives, that they they were clean spiritually before God. They were ready, and they put on their Sunday best. They washed their clothes. And um, I'm not sure why Moses picks out this one item, abstain from sexual relations. He was talking about married people, married people only, and they were to abstain. It's not clear why they were. It seems to me there was probably an, uh, others on the list of things that they were not to do during this time. But uh, perhaps it was because of the focus and the seriousness and the humbling, um, and God wanted them to be uh, focused on self-control and just to be ready. We're not sure. Uh, Is it related to ceremonial uh, uncleanness? And that's going to come later in the book of Leviticus about um, proper uh, self-care, uh, but it's just not clear. But it's, it's about being ready. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 7, there can be a time for husband and wife to abstain from their relationship, and that's for the purpose of prayer. It's this kind of seriousness. Okay, verses 16, uh, chapter 19, verses 16 through the end of the chapter, God meets with his people. The encounter begins, verse 16, on the morning of the third day. So here it is, the third day. There was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. This was a monumental occasion, God coming down to meet with his people. Uh, This was a sound and light show way beyond Hollywood that we see just in a couple of verses, way beyond Hollywood. This is supernatural. It is God, even the trumpet blast was supernatural. And it's going to get louder and louder and louder. Look what happened. Everyone in the camp trembled. Two and a half million people trembled at once in the presence of God. They're starting to get it. This is our God. This is who God is. Respect. Honor. He is awesome. He is great. We are not great. Yes, we're created in the image of God. Yes, there is good. We are not God. 
Verse 17, then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain, and that's as far as they're going to go. I don't know if they don't have any more courage or any more permission. Um, This is it. They're just going to get to the foot of the mountain and stop. Anyone who had been casual about the seriousness of meeting with God was now on on point, focused and ready and totally uh, waiting to meet with God. Verse 18, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from, from it like a smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. God is present. This is how he revealed himself to his people in Exodus 19. God had come down to the mountain. Verse 19, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, and Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. This is another amazing event. God comes down. God uh, brings thunder and lightning and this trumpet sound that gets louder and louder, and people are just extremely humbled. Moses speaks to God, and God answers God wants his people to know that Moses is their leader and that Moses has a relationship with God. Verses 20 through 25, there are additional stipulations. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain, so Moses went up again at least a third time. Moses put a lot into this relationship with God. Um, You know, we would do it different, right? We would just do a fast track up there some way, helicopter up or whatever. Um, So Moses goes back down. Verse, uh, goes back up. Verse 21, and the Lord said to him, go down. He just got there. Go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. So here's kind of a warning, again, about how serious this is. Uh, Tell the people how important this is, and hear the mention of priests. And again, the priesthood, as we understand the Levitical priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood does not exist yet, but there were family priests, the the heads of their home, the elders of the community were the mediators, and they represented the people to God, and and they taught taught the people. They represented uh, God to the people. And that the Lord would break out would be that the Lord would put them to death. Verse 23, Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain, and set apart it as holy. Moses knows what God has already said. Verse 24, the Lord replied, go down and bring up Aaron with you. So Moses has to go back down, but the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against him. So Moses went down to the people and told them, you know, why didn't he just text Aaron? Aaron, get up here on the double. And now we come to the end, and we're actually coming to the beginning of chapter 20, the first words. This is the beginning of the Ten Commandments. 
This is what our focus will be next week. The beginning of the Ten Commandments, verses 1 through 3, chapter 20. There are two places you find the Ten Commandments in the Bible. Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Just remember that. Ten Commandments, where do you find them? Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5. If you would just learn where things are found by chapter, you could learn the most important things in the Bible just by saying, where's it found? Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5. All the major events of the Bible, you can, you can identify like that, and it's not very hard. And God spoke all these words, verse 1, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. A reminder to God's people again. How many times have we seen this theme? Remember, remember, remember. Remember who I am, God says. Remember that I am the Lord. I am the one who rescued you. I am the one who redeemed you. I'm the one who gave you freedom. I'm, I'm the one who saved you. I'm the one who guided you. I'm the one who provided for you. I'm the one who made you into a great nation. I am the Lord your God. And here it is, the first commandment, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. This is the first thing he wants them to know. He wants them to realign their priority system and get the first thing and the main thing right off the bat. God wants to have first place in their lives. God is to have their full devotion. He wants their allegiance, their love, and their obedience. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna see more of this next week. So let's step back now and just talk about a few lessons as we bring this to a close today. First lesson for us, God is holy and he desires his people to be holy. And this was the clear, whoops, keep it, keep it there. Uh, this was the clear message of Exodus 19. God descended on the mountain. Um, he could only be approached on his terms. Now, I hope you're thankful that he doesn't require us to approach him the same way they needed to do in Exodus chapter 19. He has to be approached on his terms. His terms today are, are that we come to him through Jesus because Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. God wanted his people to be consecrated. He wanted them to be dedicated to him. He want, wanted them to be set apart for him. He wanted them to be ready to serve him. He wanted his people to be spiritually prepared and spiritually fit. And, you know, I think God still wants that today, that he wants his people to be spiritually prepared and spiritually fit and set apart for him. Just as God is holy and he desires his people to be holy, and he, he wanted his people in Exodus 19 to be holy, he wants us to be holy too. And that's that First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, where Peter says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope and grace to be... Uh, to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So he's, he's looking to, to the future. He's looking to when Jesus Christ returns a uh, second time. And then he says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But here it is, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. You too be holy in all that you do. God is holy. God is perfect. You are not perfect, but you, you can be holy by setting your life apart to God. 
and just saying it's, it's about being spiritually clean. It's about your heart saying, God, I'm yours. I want to serve you. You're not perfect, okay? You, you can be holy, and God has set you apart already. That's what it means to be sanctified. And he wants you to be holy one day at a time. So sometimes we fail and we sin and we get off track and we need to be spiritually cleansed and uh, we get a fresh start and be forgiven. Second lesson, God's people are to represent God to our world as mediators. And this was true in Exodus chapter 19. Um, God's people, both men and women, were to be priests, a royal priesthood. And they had access to God, and they, they could bring their requests to God, and they could, they could uh, pray for their friends and their family and their nation, and uh, they could also speak to other people about God and represent Him. Um, they were to be a people of prayer, and they were to speak for God, and they were to live for God as models so people could get a clue of what it means to be a follower of God is by looking at someone else who is following. Likewise, we too are to represent God as his mediators, and that's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And Peter uh, reminds us, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You see where he gets at? It's right out of Exodus 19. And now he's applying this to us. He's applying it to the church. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You are a mediator. You have access to God. You can uh, represent people to God in prayer, and you can represent God to people in witness when you tell people about who God is and what he's done for you. When you just share, when God answers your prayer, you're being a believer priest. You're being a mediator, just telling people about what God is doing. You are God's special possession. Same thing he told the Israelites. Uh, I, I, that's a good thing. God owns me. That's a good thing. He redeemed me. He bought me with a price. And he, he says, I'm not junk. He says, I'm a special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's the purpose, to declare the praises of God. That's worship. He wants us to be worshipers. But it's also about declaring who he is to our world. Uh, another translation says declaring his excellencies. It's about his character, who he is, what he's like, that he's, that he's loving, that he's just, that he's righteous, that he's merciful, that he's sovereign, and that he had this plan to send Jesus. That's declaring uh, his excellencies. That's declaring the praises of him who called you. Third lesson, God desires that we treat our relationship with him with honor and respect. This was very clear in Exodus 19. God gave instructions about the mountain. Don't touch it. And he meant business. It was serious stuff. Death was the consequence. Now, I'm very grateful that God doesn't put those demands on us. It's the same God. He is holy, he's righteous, he's just. 
And I would just ask this question. Do we sometimes treat our relationship with God too casually? Like he's all about being my friend. Now, he is your friend. I just want to say he's much more than that. Are we flippant about the holiness of God? Do we give God respect? Do we treat God like he's a lightweight? And I just want us to remember who he is. And yes, it's, you know, we can pray anytime and we can talk to him and we can read his word anytime. And our spirituality is so convenient. And yet, I just want us to remember who, who God is, what he's like, what he desires. First um, John 1, 9, this is uh, pretty well known. And it's one of the most misunderstood verses. I'm amazed at how many Christians misunderstand this. But there's also a danger for us. It's very simple. If we confess our sins... He, God, is faithful and just and forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. And that is awesome. That when I sin, if I confess, God has given a provision for me to get back into that relationship and I can be spiritually cleansed and I can be forgiven of all unrighteousness and I can know it, I can count on it. I, this is true. I can have that. Now, my concern is sometimes I think we're too, we take it too lightly. Oh yeah, I just flip out this verse. Everything's okay, but we really aren't very serious about sin. We just flip this verse and, well, what about, how are you going to walk tomorrow? How are you going to approach these things tomorrow? How are you going to do this next week? And I'm just, I want to remind us about God is, God is loving and kind and merciful and forgiving, but he's a serious person and he wants honor and respect. The apostle uh, James uh, gives us a little more serious note which I think is fitting with Exodus 19, James 4, 7 through 10. Sometimes the Apostle James sounds like an Old Testament prophet, and he does in this passage. He says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Guys, that sounds good, doesn't it? Submit to God? Okay, I'm in. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. That's good. Wash your hands, you sinners. Oh, it's kind of harsh, isn't it? Wash your hands, you sinners, means confess your sin, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The danger of being double-minded. David, well, yeah, I want forgiveness, but yeah, I want to keep doing what I'm doing. Grieve, mourn, and wail. That's Old Testament prophet. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. You know, and every once in a while, we just need to get this flavor back into our lives. This is who God is. He's an awesome God, and he deserves honor and respect. And um, just be reminded. And the last one, God wants first place in our lives. This is where we started. God wants first place in our lives. Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. This is what God wants from us today. No other priorities higher than him. Not your job, not your education, not your career, not your hobby, not your wife or your husband, not your kids, not your addiction. Whether it's food or alcohol or sex or drugs or even your ministry, nothing before God. 
Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10, often not thought about in this way. This is Jesus beginning what we call sometimes the Lord's Prayer. And he said, this is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. And the idea is that God is in heaven. He's a transcendent God, and he's bigger than me and beyond me. And uh, hallowed be your name. This is one that people just say and they never think about. And it's about hallowed be your name. God, your name be holy. And it's a prayer request that Jesus is giving, that God's name be set apart, that God's name be, uh, his reputation be holy, set apart, distinct. And how's that going to happen? What's going to happen through his people? That God is going to be honored through his people. And then another prayer request that Jesus made, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth that is in heaven. God's kingdom, he's the king, and it's about his influence advancing on the earth as his name is holy. And as we, as we obey, as we, as we honor him with our lives, as we're humble before him, your kingdom come, your will be done, God's will. In heaven, when God speaks, the angels obey. They didn't even think about disobedience, it wasn't even an option. And God's desire is that it become that way on earth. One day it will be fully and totally. But God wants to advance his kingdom through us. And he wants us to implement his will. And so people can see God at work. So, God wants his will to be executed, implemented, and practiced by us. Okay, let's, uh, let's stand together and let's pray. And we're coming back next week to the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to be starting to bring this uh, series to a close. Let's pray together. Father, as we uh, have charted the story of the book of Exodus and the story of your people. And we are reminded how you delivered your people, you rescued your people out of slavery, slavery to the Egyptians and to the Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. And we know that there's much more going on in the story that we don't understand until we get to the New Testament about how you were at work making a way for us delivering us out of sin and the power of sin and the power of the devil. And God, we want to thank you that you have made that provision for us, that you've delivered us, you've saved us from the penalty of sin. And God, we are reminded that you want to have first place, that you want to have a relationship with us like you wanted to have a relationship with Israel. that you have made us to be a precious possession, a treasure. And you want us to live in a way so other people can know about you and understand you and see what you're like. And just as we stand here this morning, is what in your life needs to be altered so that 
God will take his rightful place in your life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.